Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. Uh, I'm Tim Ryder from Metsmerized. Joining me tonight to discuss some of the uh, ongoing news going around uh, baseball right now is uh, executive editor of Metsmerized, Mike Mayer. What's happening, man? Not too much. I'm doing all right. How about you two? Doing good. Doing good. Hanging in there. Wrapping up a, uh, a very enjoyable, very lazy weekend. Awesome. And I know we just talked about what we're going to do, and then something just popped into my head, the way we should start the show. And I wanted to start it off by telling all of the mesmerized readers that um, our fearless leader, Joe DeCaro, is doing much better. He's beat COVID-19, and he's hoping that he'll be home at some point this week. That is such, such great news. Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, as everyone knows, there's, it's touch and go, and Joe, Joe's, Joe's had some health issues anyway, so it was, it, it was scary for him and it was scary for everyone else, so it's good that, to see him positive and hopefully, uh, back, back at home soon. Oh, that's huge. I mean, just huge. I guess, you know, until he's home and, you know, out of the woods, we can't, you know, count our eggs but boy it's definitely um very good to hear the progress uh, i think we were all kind of on pins and needles waiting for some news earlier in the week uh i know joe you know he made it public a few days ago uh, us at mesmerized we heard about it a few days before that and you know it was uh very tense times you know that's like you said that's our that's our leader that's uh that's the skipper and um yeah really i mean personally Joe took a chance on me, gave me a platform to write, and uh, I, I never expected I'd be doing this, but, you know, Joe gave me that chance, and, um, yeah, very, very, very happy to hear that he's on the mend. Yeah, I mean, without uh, Joe and, well, and Teddy Klein, who introduced me to Joe, I'd be write, writing by myself on some really shitty blog that no one read still. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, yeah, so uh, I can't I can't leave you out of the equation there either, Mike, because, uh, I know both you and Joe are very big proponents in uh, letting me come on board and giving me a voice and forever grateful. But uh, we're going we're gonna to stick to Joe for, to, for now because he needs those good vibes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So uh, I guess keeping with the COVID front, we're going to get to that in a second. But, Mike, you, you, uh, you heard some, some pretty strong whispers over the weekend regarding uh, minor league baseball contraction and um, – you know, I, from what it sounds like, nothing's concrete yet, but um, the Mets are one of the first teams to, to have their uh, organizations brought into this. What can you tell us? Yeah, well, like you said, um, I mean, obviously, if there, if there was a done deal for uh, minor league baseball as a whole, I'm sure Jeff Basson or Ken Rosenthal or John Hyman, someone would be telling about us, while there isn't a done deal with everything, like all the teams agreed, for contraction, um, according to two people that I absolutely trust, um, the Mets are going to lose Kingsport, and um, part, that's because the Appalachian League's just going to be eliminated, um, and their Double A affiliate will switch from Binghamton, who will no longer have a franchise, to um, Brooklyn being their Double A affiliate. Um, so I, I mean, to me, the big hit there is, I mean, the people of Binghamton, they just, um, 
rebranded that franchise with the Rumble Ponies. Um, they put public money recently into that stadium to get the facilities up to par because they had poor facilities there. So um, it's tough. It's tough um, for a place like Binghamton. And unfortunately, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, my my sources are Mets, Mets generic. So I don't know exactly how many teams are actually going to be lost. Um, the proposal was 40. Um, with the loss of Appalachian League and the other rookie leagues, um, I would guess, I would guess we're gonna, a lot of towns are gonna lose the opportunity to watch minor league baseball, which is a shame. It is. And, and on so many different levels, just like you mentioned, you have these, you know, towns and small cities who absolutely adore their minor league baseball. I mean, anywhere you've gone to see, minor league baseball around the country. I'm sure this is the same story in any park you go to. There's just a certain, you know, there, there's there's not the pressure and the, and the pizzazz of a major league park. You're just there to watch baseball and enjoy yourself. And it's it's family-centric and, you know, it, it that sting is going to hurt. But seeing minor leaguers, because there's going to be some guys who are left out in the cold now. There's just not going to be enough room on the organizational rosters to hold everybody. Uh, you know, guys are going to lose their jobs. And you have to hope that there's going to be some sort of independent league or a, uh unsigned prospect league. Um, I'm thinking since MLB has their hands in the Atlantic League that that could be a, a good fit, but we'll see. But there's got to be a positive to come out of this. They can't just cut cut all these cities out. Like you said, Binghamton, there's got to be a number of other uh, facilities and cities that have put public funding into it that have newer facilities like Binghamton's facilities weren't all that bad, were they? Um, bef- beforehand, before they did the upgrades, I, I think they were. I mean, yeah. But get, after the upgrades, I think, I mean, I I don't think they're bad enough that you're going to go out and get rid of the team for that. But it's it sounds like, well, I mean, we know the Wilpons own the Cyclones, so. Right. Each franchise is going to lose some teams, and if it comes down to if the Mets had to choose between, obviously, this isn't how it works, but if they had to choose between the Cyclones and the Rumble Ponies, I mean, this is an owner-driven thing. They're they're not going to cut the team that's owned by the Mets owners. Um, this is not going to happen. So, I mean, looking at the bright side, it will be cool. Um, because we're going to see call up straight from Brooklyn now, um, which is obviously not that far. So I guess there's just so it's easy to be negative right now. And obviously, I'm I'm mad. I mean, covering the minor leagues, you don't want to see 40 cities lose teams, uh, but you don't want to see that opportunity taken away from young kids to watch teams. Um, then jobs. You're talking about a lot of jobs that are lost. Um, so it's, it's tough, um, to get onto the, like you were talking about the Atlantic league and stuff like that. Uh, I was talking to, I've been talking to a couple agents the last couple of days about kind of their approach, um, because they've seen this coming when the draft was cut to five rounds this year and 20 rounds next year. I mean that you're complete, you're manipulating, uh, not manipulating. You're just 
completely cutting, gutting um, the, the talent pool in the minor leagues. I mean, they had to contract teams because they won't have enough players. So from the agents that I were talking to, they, they've already kind of reached out to teams in Japan, in Taiwan, in um, Korea, um, Colombia, other countries, because some of these guys are going to need home um, to play. And some of these leagues are good. I mean, we, we see Chris Flexen and Drew Gagneau and Aaron Altair over in um, Korea right now. And, of course, they signed their deals beforehand. But it was already becoming kind of more of a hot spot for major league guys to go over to some of these leagues and try to, um, one, get a payday and then try to come back. So I think I think you're going to have to see kind of like a feeder system overseas more because the, these guys are going to want to keep playing. There's guys, I mean, like Seth Lugo, a 34th round pick, um, Jeff McNeil, it was a 12th round pick. I mean, the, these guys wouldn't have a spot right now. They'd either have to go back to college, be an undrafted free agent, or go play somewhere else that's going to pay them to keep living their dream. Oh, and it's just, it's incredibly sad how, you know, you just didn't expect such a drastic change to come so quickly. I mean, you know, there's this pipeline, and it's almost like MLB had this in mind, and they said, all right, this is a really good time from their perspective to streamline things um, to, you know, to kind of close the valve on this pipeline. And, yeah, yeah, it's just, uh, it's it's very frustrating. Yeah, like you said, and it's just, maybe it would be less frustrating if we were, like, they were cutting it to five rounds this year and they were still going to find a way for all these um, teams to have players. I mean, you could still – they could have raised the amount that you could do for unsigned guys, uh, undrafted guys, um, raised their bonuses so more of them would have signed, and you could fill out some teams. It's it's the fact that you're cutting down 35 rounds of the draft and also cutting 40 teams in the same year. It just – it feels like a big gut punch. Um, It does. It does. They're ripping off the band-aid, and this isn't going to be a uh, a ten-second sting. This is going to be a, there's going to be ripple effects. Oh, for sure. And I think all of this um, kind of take like the suddenness and how big it is takes apart from like some some of what they're trying to do is good. Like by um, they're trying to update facilities, which is needed. There's a lot of minor league facilities that need updating so that these players are playing in better conditions and they're also trying to streamline some leagues better so that guys aren't on 12 hour bus rides. Um, I just think personally that there's a better way to do that than cutting 40 teams. Oh, for sure. And maybe you, 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 you know, you do what you have to do, but this seems just so drastic, but uh, again, hopefully we just, we see positives come out of this. This is one big negative and I don't think you could ever, you know, put them on the scale and say, oh, well, this is good, but, and this makes up for it, because I don't think that's ever going to happen, but, um, yeah, just, you got to hope that there's a, a master plan here. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You have to hope that Major League Baseball has some idea of what they're actually looking for here, and all these facilities do up, get updated. These guys don't have to travel so far. They get better nutrition, and 
pay. I mean, they're using this as an excuse, really, to find a way to pay the minor leaguers better without that much more money going out of their pocket. So minor leaguers need to get paid better. They, they have no excuse now. There's less of them there, so there's no excuse for them to pay these guys what they're getting now. So maybe maybe that's that's the rainbow that comes from this, is that the minor league players finally get the pay that they deserve. Well, you know, it's a 10-plus billion dollar a year industry. Uh, they didn't have much of a leg to stand on before. Now they, <laughs> you're right, they're going to have to do something now. No, yeah, yeah, they, they have, if they, if they continue to ignore minor league players, um, pay, I, I don't, I don't know what'll happen, but it'll certainly be a bad look for major league baseball. You know, it, it almost feels like they don't care anymore. <laughs> they they know that this is their stance on it and they're kind of just digging in their heels. And that's what makes it even sadder because this is literally the future of the game. I've said yeah. this before on the show. I've said it in articles. It's the future of the game. How, how, you know, it, I, I've gone through, I've gone down this path before, but you go from, it's all about the kids to, you know, fill that pipeline. And then once they are, property of a major league organization at the minor league level, of course. Um, we don't care about you until you get here. And that blows my freaking mind. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is Manfred's all about building baseball. And I, I don't know how you can say that on one side of your mouth and then on the other side, cut 40 teams. Oh uh, yeah. Man, Manfred's uh he's an, he's an expert ventriloquist. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's infuriating to hear some of the stuff he says and then to see some of his plans and just try to understand what he might be thinking. And I, I mean, without getting too brutal on the guy, I, I don't know if he knows what he's thinking besides the fact that he's doing what the owners want him to do. Oh, I think this is a, uh, a puppet show up front and, you know, pay no attention to what's going on behind the curtain type of situation. He was like their head counsel for, for how long? He was MLB's lead guy. And now he's in the driver's seat. And, you know, one has to imagine he's smart enough to have a plan, despite what he, um, <laughs> despite what he, the, uh, what, what, how he comes off in, when he speaks at times. But, uh, you know, I guess you just have to wonder. But on to, on to MLB <laughs> operations and business. Um, I am, I'm encouraged that MLB, put health at the forefront of this. They put the health and safety of players out there first. Everyone's concerned about the money and that's with, with just cause we'll get into that. But um, MLB did, they wanted to get the health part and safety part squared away first. Now, um, Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellick from the athletic, uh, they got their hands on this proposal uh, pretty much instantaneously made it available for everyone. Everybody, if you're not subscribed to the athletic, it's worth every penny. I believe they're giving out three months for free right now if you sign up. So get on that. But really um, MLB's going through it's, it's stringent testing. It's um, you know, very, very tight intake protocol. Um, They're really, they're, they're, they're putting safety at the forefront and they're making it, you know, paramount, which is exactly what they have to do. But um, Mike, do you think it's enough or uh, are we still, I mean, there's a lot of un, unknowns here. Um, is Can MLB ever do enough to kind of prepare for this? Yeah. I, I, I don't know if you can, um, but certainly um, what they have outlined, I think is very thorough and 
I was impressed by the thoroughness of it and um, some of the foresight they had on some of the issues. Um, and I think, I mean, as far as the health part, like you said, I think this is, that is a good way to start the proposal because, I mean, for some players, it would be money regardless. Like, they wouldn't care if they didn't think they were going to be out there safely. They wouldn't play regardless of the money. Numerous players have said that. So I think this is what they needed to get out there first was a good, strong um, health plan and protocols to get the players and their families and um, the employees of the team so that they're safe during the season, during the travel. Um, I mean, I'm not a doctor, certainly, and I'm not a specialist in this area, but the it, it looked thorough to me, and everyone that reports on Major League Baseball sounds like they've been impressed by it. So I think it's a good start um, to the negotiations, and I would expect that now that this kind of gets knocked down that early this week, the next couple of days, that it switches over to money, and that's – that's really going to be the big, the big key, as you mentioned. Well, yeah, I mean, and this is where the this is where the quandary lies. And Trevor Bauer, who's become you know just uh, uh, an excellent person up at the forefront of this um, uh, invaluable voice for the players, uh, he came out and he put it very simply. He said, "Players, I'm going to quote him here: Players are ready, willing, able, and excited to play." And that's that's extremely encouraging. Um, players willing to put themselves out there in harm's way is is more than half of this battle. Um, but you know they should never ever be asked to take a pay cut uh, to to do so. So the original agreement that MLB and the Players Association came to in late March was a per game full scale salary. Uh, agreement for however many games are played, players will be paid their full salary for each game. Um, something to that to that effect. But everybody was happy. Everyone was on the same page. Uh, MLB's newer proposal or latest proposal, the league is trying to pay players based on a revenue split, reported fifty fifty split, which would substantially <laughs> decrease player salaries, and that's pretty much across the board. You have your minimum your your minimum money players making around a hundred thousand dollars. That's just a, a rough estimate, which, um, you know, for a guy like Fernando Tatis Jr., Pete Alonso, that would be incredible production value, but I just, I can't see it happening, um, from the player's standpoint. So besides the whole salary cap aspect, which Tony Clark, the head of the, the, uh, the players association, the union, uh, has a very good point. This is, at first glance, this is a salary cap. Um, you can't cap revenues. You got cap salaries based on revenues. It's pretty much what all the other pro leagues do, and that's not what baseball does. So, um, Mike, do you see players conceding at least a portion of their per game salaries, or do you see this becoming um, players taking a hard stance? Do you see MLB possibly coming to the rescue and saying, "Look, we're gonna." foot the bill for this. I mean, there's just so many unknowns. Um, I think the players have every right to be paid what they're owed. And I can't see this potential $4 billion loss of revenue really affecting a corporation. Cause that's what MLB is. That brings in over $10 billion a year. I just, in my mind, they can foot this bill and only focus on health. Um, do you think that's possible? 
I it's it's tough. Um, I do agree. I think the players agreed to the prorated salaries, which is fine. I they agreed to it. The owners agreed to it. I think that's the way it should stay, in my opinion. Um, with the revenue sharing, I I think the players are kind of they're in a tough spot here um, because they've this has kind of played out in the public um, arena already with Blake Schnell and, like you said, Trevor Bauer and um, some other players have chimed in on this. And I mean, if you read if you read the comments on like Blake Schnell's video where he's saying that he'd feel unsafe and that they should get paid and all this. Um, Unfortunately, there's a large portion of, which obviously Twitter isn't all of a fan base for Major League Baseball, but um, most most of these fans want to see baseball regardless of how it's, turns out for the players. They don't care about what the players are making. And a lot of them are calling them essentially whiners for saying that they still want to get their prorated salaries. Um, I, I don't agree with that, but you've seen that playing out in the public arena and the players are going to get that. They're going to know about that. Um, they don't want, I think the players want to get out on the field for the most part. And I think, I think the players are going to have to cave um, to some degree. Now, what degree that is, I'm not sure, but I, I don't see the owners caving. Um, they've already, they've already pushed this after agreeing to prorated salaries. So I, I, I don't see the owners going anywhere with this, but getting what they want, unfortunately. And, and it's unfortunate because we're not going to just talk about an issue right now of getting the players back on the field. Um, I talked to an agent yesterday about this, and he has serious concerns about a work stoppage after the 2021 season when the CBA is up. Um, the owners certainly aren't doing themselves any favors right now in terms of the relationship with the players. Oh, it seems like there's kind of sowing the seeds for uh, for future arguments, which is borderline petty, and they're using a really, really um, <laughs> they're, they're turning a really shitty situation into um, into a point of leverage, which just it, it's even a tougher pill to swallow. But um, I find myself putting myself in players' shoes. Uh, you know, I've been, I, I've mentioned it here. I've been working through all this. What we do, what I do for work is fire protection. We're considered essential. You know, going out and risking my health and my family's health every day, you know, that's a, a bullet that I have to bite, but um, I do it at, out of necessity. I would never take a pay cut to, to work in more hazardous situations, um, especially if I'm a contracted employee and I already have an agreement in place, just... I can't see it happening. Um, I I still find it very hard to believe that, uh, you know, maybe tops 20% of fans being in the stands kind of contributes to the overall revenue of the league. I know that number is really not – it's not put out there because the league and the owners don't have to open up their books, which is a travesty, but we won't get into that. Um, yeah, MLB has the opportunity to kind of make this right, and let's just hope that they don't really dig their heels in too deep and uh, 
you know, don't turn this into a, a, an all-out war. We all want to see some baseball this season, and we certainly don't want to see a, a work stoppage in twenty after 2021. But um, one of the, I guess, changes that have already been reportedly approved by the Players Association is the impl- implementation of the universal DH. Uh, we've talked a little bit about that in the past. Um, personally, I'm a fan of it. I don't think we'll miss pitchers hitting whatsoever. I think we'll get over it pretty fast. Uh, Mike, the Mets are appear- apparently very well suited for a, a DH spot. I mean, you have so many options. Um, do you see this being uh, an X factor for the for the 2020 Mets or even moving forward if this sticks? Yeah, I mean, like you said, I think between, I mean, there's numerous different ways the Mets could play this. They could simply stick Cespedes there almost every day or get Cespedes out in the field once in a while and have Davis DH. Um, get Cano some days off at second, let him DH a little bit. Um, have Dom Smith DH against righties. Um, give Alonzo a day off and have him DH. Because um, that's the other thing you have to think about is if this season's done this year, uh, if they play this year, is we're not we're talking about not very many days off. And it sounds like potential double headers too is even being talked about. So having the DH will kind of allow um, guys like Alonzo to still be in the lineup and get a break too. Um, especially like Tespis, there's no way he was going to be out in the fields playing five, six games a week probably. Um, and less so if you're playing seven games a week, almost every week. And uh-huh. hey, what do you know? Maybe we'll even see a Jed Lowry sighting. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they certainly have options. Did you happen to see Bryce Harper's? Uh, I don't know if you can call it a proposal. It looks like a, a Facebook post, but um, he, he laid out some pretty solid. Some pretty solid uh, ideas. I don't know if this is – I'm sorry, go ahead. He did. I thought it was pretty interesting, some of the stuff you laid out. And, I mean, that's the thing is I – I mean, besides, like, disagreeing on money and stuff like this, I think part of why it'll take so long is, I mean, there should be no stone unturned right now because we're in uncharted territory. So get all those ideas out there and see which ones stick. Um, There has to be some creative – creativity like i said with double headers i mean i just we're at a point where i don't see how you get into the 82 games like they've talked about with out having some double headers which i've always thought that they should go back to anyway um i've always been a fan of why can't you squeeze in like two sunday double headers a year like i always thought that would be something cool to do so i think oh, well i was going to say that that's a pretty clear answer to me i mean uh teams want individual league, individual games. That's why the, the day-night doubleheader is great, because they can televise two games, they can get admission for two games, and, um, you know, I think that I, I do like the idea of, of Sunday doubleheaders. I actually don't even mind um, seven-inning doubleheaders. I think that'll be a, a great little kind of rest for the players. Um, yeah, I and, don't have any issue with that. I mean, that's what the minor leagues do when they have doubleheaders. Right, right. So I, I I know a lot of baseball purists will kind of sneeze at that, but, I mean, there's no, there's not going to be anything pure about the 2020 baseball season if there is one. Like, it, you have to be able to adjust your thinking and just 
be happy that we're seeing it in a time where there's not a lot of things to be happy about right now. So I think you kind of just have to shift to the fact that I'm going to be happy watching baseball regardless of the changes that we see in the game. Yeah, any baseball is good baseball. I can agree with that. But, like, all right, so Bryce Harper's saying from July 1st, apparently, uh, I guess, estimate, through November 15th, 135-game season, you have one day off every two weeks, and every Sunday are seven-inning doubleheaders. 30-man rosters, six-man rotations if the team's down with that, and um, you do your two-week World Series like a Super Bowl, Super Bowl week with a 10-team round-robin College World Series-style tournament. Like I would be, I would be a hundred percent on board with that. Yeah, I think like I think now is the time you kind of mess around with the playoffs too. Yeah, um, I like I said, like this is the time to kind of play with different ideas, and hopefully something good will come of it, and something will stick. But yeah, I think that I have no issue with that, and I think um, the only thing I think's a little unrealistic is I I don't think they'd play the regular season that long. Um, just because, I mean, November 15th, that means where you're getting into late November. And I can tell you what, there's going to be some snow in some games. You push in late November. So, of course, did his plan say where all the games were played? Um, No, but I, I would have to assume at some point they're going to have to move everything down to some sort of remote location or a, um, even on like a divisional basis, each division yeah. will play in each. He doesn't say that, but that seems like a, an idea that could work. Maybe he's thinking along the lines of a Florida, Arizona type thing again. Yeah. But once that, once those playoffs start, um, you know, you could spread that out across a couple of different stadiums, whether it's yeah. San Diego, uh, down in Texas, uh, they have a brand new stadium, uh, Miami. Yeah. I mean, you can make that work. And, um, uh, you know, do like a World Series in, in Dodger Stadium in December, and chances are you're going to be all right. Oh, yeah. that's. I mean, um, regardless of, like, how the plan ends up, I think I think the likelihood of seeing um, playoff games in neutral parks is pretty high. Um, and it, ju- it just makes sense. I mean, you, you want to get more of a actual regular season in, so you're talking about games in the November and then potentially playoffs in – early December. So oh, give me that Christmas, give me that Christmas day game seven, bro. I will take that all yeah. day. Christmas day game seven in, uh, LA. Like you said, sunny Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> that would, that would be awesome. I mean, you know, that would be awesome. Now I, I know I spoke about this a little bit. I was on, um, my buddy James, uh, he does the, this is believe land podcast out in Cleveland. Um, he was asking me about the validity. Uh, of a of a 2021 major league championship, which you know, let's see if it's called a World Series or, or not. But um, I, you know, I took the position that if there's a season played and everyone's on the same level playing field, sure, there's a season played, there's a playoffs, there's a World Series. I, I think that's a valid championship. I, I don't know if I'm in the minority or the majority here, but how do you feel? Do you think a hundred game season with the playoffs is enough to crown a champion? Yeah, I man, I've changed so much over the year. I used like ten years ago. I used to be like, "Don't change baseball at all. Don't touch it. Like everything must be the same." And but I, like you said, if you get in a decent season and 
you get in a good playoffs. I just and it's it's on the level for everyone. Every team is doing it. I don't I don't think there needs to be any sort of asterisk or anything like that. Like people are gonna know twenty years twenty years from now, people are gonna know when it's written about this World Series that there was a pandemic and everything anyway. So I don't think you need to change like change it from being the World Series or anything like that. I have no I have no issue with it being the World Series and whoever wins, they want a legitimate World Series. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. None of us, none of us remember that 1995 was a shortened season. Uh, nobody remembers that 1981 was a shortened season. Well, of course they remember, but it doesn't make the you know the champions any less valid champions. So uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think I think we actually might be in the minority on this one, but oh, probably we always are, Mike. Just what just from what I've seen on on um, Twitter, like just some people saying like. I don't even care if they come back and play because the World Series won't mean anything. And it's just like, like you have to understand that it's going to be different no matter how it is this year. Um, and, th- and that's my outlook, um, trying to go into this and trying to figure out how they're playing, where they're playing, um, rosters and all of this different stuff. You just have to go in with the mindset that none, none of it is going to be a normal season. Yeah. And I think kind of just to take what we can get sort of mentality. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm down with that. Um, but, yeah, we, we shall see. I'm sure there's going to be more news to come this week uh, on this front. So, of course, we'll keep you posted. Uh, Mike, I know that um, everyone's been kind of digging back into their baseball cards during this, uh, this quarantine at home kind of uh, break on pause, whatever you want to call it. But uh, – I know you've been going through some some old boxes. You guys are moving, right? And you found some good stuff, huh? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, beyond being in quarantine, we're actually um, closing on a house, a new house, in a couple of weeks, and um, going through. I mean, I I don't I haven't I don't really buy cards actively anymore, and haven't really in a long time. So I going through stuff and kind of trying to downsize. I mean, I don't I have like fifty, sixty thousand cards, and that's just <laughs> it, it it seems a bit excessive. Um, <laughs> it just does. So I I mean I've listed some stuff on eBay and sold some stuff and but it's also fun. It's yeah, it's fun to get into these like old crappy late eighties, early nineties Donruses where you have like twelve of the same card and they're worth like it could be a Hall of Famer like Ricky Henderson and it's worth ten cents still because oh, yeah. nine hundred thousand of them in production. But well, you have to. There's also cool stuff too. Like I just found some like random stuff like that. I I had gotten that uh, um storage thing. I got the storage thing because it was cards. But there's also like some random comics in there and like Beavis and Butthead cards. Um, All right. Like, like what, what am I even supposed to do with that? It's just yeah. So it's just fun to go through some stuff. And yeah, I I posted some of the crazy stuff on Twitter because it's just it's fun. Um. I don't have a ton of a lot of my cards, unfortunately, are from a period where they just produced so many cards that um, I don't have I don't have any like big money makers or whatever. I I had a spell where I was absolutely in love with Michael Jordan. Um, my grandfather was a huge Jordan fan, and that was kind of the one thing we had together. So I I've, I've collected like five or six hundred Jordan cards and some other Jordan memorabilia and. 
So it was kind of cool to look through that now, especially with uh, the last dance going on. So oh, I don't know if you've checked eBay, but I- I'm sure you have a couple of uh, very hot sellers in there. Michael Jordan cards are absolutely through the roof right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's why I'm like, that's the thing. Like, I've always said that I'm never going to sell any Jordans. And I'm just like, well, it's really hot right now, I feel like. So I've I've listed some and thought about listing more. But I'm just like, especially the baseball ones, I'm like, because I have, uh, I probably got like 40 or 50 MJ baseball. I'm like, I'm definitely not selling those ones. I'll hold on to those. And oh, yeah. I, found, I found a couple others that um, I'm going to send out to get graded. And then kind of decide what to do with them. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, great it's, and hold, man. Yeah, it's wild. Like, because I I haven't graded a card in so long, and so I looked it up, and you're talking like six, seven months before you get the card back. And yeah, unless you want to pay sixty dollars a card, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> nobody yeah. wants to do that. Yeah, it just seemed wild to me. Like the whole, I have. Uh, I'm the third selectman in my town and the second selectman, he's like huge in the cards right now. And it's just wild to me how much it's changed. Um, yeah. When I, when we were collecting cards, you did it for fun. Um, and to like get your favorite players and stuff. And now it's, it's a money hungry industry. I mean, you're talking about paying like four or five, six hundred dollars for boxes. And, oh, then, and these breaks online that is all about, adults making money on cards and it just it just feels weird to me but no see it's see and you see a lot of that you see a lot of the um the guys who break and for anyone who's not familiar uh a breaker is someone who buys like a a box of cards what they call like a hobby box where you get a couple of autographs it's like maybe like 15 20 packs of cards um you raffle off teams everybody gets a spot um, and you know, there's a, a, a markup. Now you see people who are just making like, you know, they'll make 15, 20 bucks because nobody wants to do anything for free. Then you have breakers who are out there making like $60 on a seven card box. And, uh, yeah, it gets a little out of control, but, um, you have to like kind of find that thin line between, you know, the love of the hobby and just people out there trying to make a quick buck. Um, you know, if you do it right, you could do it with, with love and with passion and, and really enjoy yourself and still find the occasional gem. Like, uh, but the, the whole grading aspect, um, it's certainly, it's, it's a, it's a whole new world compared to what it used to be. I got berated. I, uh, I sold a, uh, a Vladimir Guerrero. It's like a top Sapphire. It was like, it's like yeah. a $300 card. Yeah. Um, I got berated. Why didn't you hold that? Why didn't you grade that? Like, oh, I don't know. Like, I got to pay some bills, and I caught this in, in a pack of cards. So yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and make some money. Like, no, it's going to be worth thousands. I'm like, I don't have a couple of years, a couple of years to wait thousands, bro. I got kids to feed. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, one of the Jordans I have, um, it's a U, uh, UD3 Jordan, um, and it's worth – a couple of hundred just as it is now. And if I get it graded, depending on how it gets graded, of course, we're talking, jumping into the thousands possibly. And I'm just weighing that. I'm just like, man, like a couple hundred now or potentially it's just, you have to weigh it. Cause I mean, six, seven months is just crazy to me. It's wild. Like I'm, uh-huh. I, I'm, if I send, cause there are some cards I decided I am going to send out. I'm going to forget that I sent them out. <laughs> <laughs> that's a nice surprise in the mail you get a couple yeah, of tens yeah exactly a couple of tens i'm like all right that's going right on ebay yeah oh yeah. most definitely 
I got a um I pulled a a Cunha with the bat down. Um yep. you know, this thing's it's a thousand dollar card raw. Like I, I yep. used I don't know what everyone's like, no, nah, you gotta hold on to it. It's like, uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, again, I have a couple. I have like a stack of Pete Alonzo rookies. But yep. um you know, I I'm like you, but like I, when we came up, you know, I watched I had like a Mario Lemieux Don Russ Elite or some something like that. The thing was like worth I was in like sixth grade, it's worth like a hundred bucks and I thought like, Oh my god, I'm gonna retire on this one day. Yeah, yeah. You know, I check it when I'm thirty and it's like six dollars. It's like, oh I'm just waiting for this crash to, to happen again. But um Yeah. You know, just, it doesn't look like it's slowing down anytime soon. Yeah, it's just crazy. Like I'm I have some graded um Griffey rookies that are a couple nice. of nine and a nine and above and you can't give them away on ebay it's crazy like i i think i had one as low as like a starting bid is four dollars and it hasn't sold twice oh geez it's just like yeah it's just and these other rookies and you just can't it's just the late 80s early 90s man i guess they're just not selling anymore Ah, they learned from their mistakes. You have to imagine they did. They're not going to mass produce. No, um, yeah. Tops has the the MLB exclusive. I really only get into baseball, but I know Tops has the, kind of the MLB license, and and uh, yeah, I stick to that. And you know, there's brands that I don't really mess with, but uh, there's also brands that I just can't afford. That Sapphire stuff, you just you can't do it. It's you know four hundred and fifty dollars for a box of thirty two cards. Oh it's yeah, just, that's that's what my buddy deals, and he's. He goes to Walmart and um, he he knows a guy that knows a guy about when they bring him in and stuff. And he's sitting there waiting for him. And he he does. He gets those ones that are four or five hundred, especially basketball. He's hot with basketball now with like optic and stuff mm-hmm. and getting four hundred, five hundred dollars a box. But once you break those things, you can even if I mean, whichever way you're doing it, if you're bre- doing it for breaks or you're looking for hits you're you're making money off those things but it that's that's a lot of money to throw up front for a 32 card oh my goodness it's insane and you see i guess you know i we i follow phil hughes uh he does box wars so does uh, yeah. blowout cards and uh you know this is like 1500 dollars in cards on the table and then he, he does like an open call like who wants to war and i'm like well that would be nice but boy my wife would have me on a on a spike well, yeah, that's the thing I've been weighing since I'm trying to get back into it. And the buddy I'm talking about added me to a Facebook group where they're doing they're doing some pretty cool breaks like uh, repacks tonight. They had one where um, it was three Jordans, two Pippins, and then three other players from the era. So that was pretty cool. So I'm just trying to I'm I'm just waiting on the sidelines right now, just kind of watching everything because it, it has changed quite a bit. And then I'll I'll jump into some stuff, but I I think I'll stay out of the optic basketball and all of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too yeah. It's it's it, that's a that's when it goes from a fun hobby to straight up gambling, and I can't I can't afford to do that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, but we all have life goals. One day I'll be able to blow five thousand dollars on fucking baseball cards. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> all right. So, well, uh, I have. I oh, have, Mike. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I have three packs here right now. Um, I found this tote, which I mean, like I said, I haven't bought anything in a while and I was doing a span where I was just buying up, um, sealed packs. So I have three packs here. Um, 
I don't know if you want to open three or I can tell you which three they are and you want to pick one. I don't know how you want to do it, but I picked out three that jumped out at me. What are the, what do we have? What, what are our, uh, what are our selections? So we have a 1989 tops with bubble gum still in it. Ooh. Untouched. Um, so I was thinking maybe we could open that one and <laughs> for shits and giggles, we'll jump into the bubble gum too. Oh my God. You can eat the bubble gum. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do oh, it. Oh, and, good luck. Yes. That sounds we, like. <laughs> we've got a 1992 um, Premier Edition Donruss Triple Play. Nice. And then the last one we got is, I don't even remember this one, to be honest with you, is a 1991 Leaf set, which features Harmon Killebrew Hall of Fame puzzle. Oh, the, the Killebrew puzzle. I don't remember that either. I do remember Leaf, and they um they had a big presence for for a few years there. I think yeah. they're, they're they're somewhat back. They do high end stuff now, but ah, uh, Mike, I, I want I gotta know what's in the tops eighty nine tops, and I do have to know what the fucking bubblegum tastes like. All right, I'll, I'll open the tops. We'll go card by card, and then I uh, unfortunately have sold myself on to doing the uh, the gum. Oh, just uh, you don't have to do the whole stick, bro. Just take a crack off. I don't want you to get sick. Let let's see what's oh. Um so the uh the last card has not fared well because the bubble gum has oiled into it, I guess is the best way to put oh, it. Oh yeah. You got the gum stain. Oh yeah. Guillermo <laughs> Hernandez, a uh left handed pitcher for the Tigers, has the old gum stain. <laughs> Very so, nice. Uh, We'll go. I'll open the pack and then we'll we'll taste what the gum's going on. Uh, I can only imagine how many like you know gem cards that like you had a Griffey or a Bonds rookie on the back that just had gum stains on it. Yeah, I mean, at least I I, I don't want to uh, disparage Germo, but uh, sorry, buddy, you're not a Bonds. Yeah, whoever packed that one, they knew. They're like, all right, we got you, buddy. Whoever opens wow. this pack is not going to be disappointed. All right, so we got. Burt Blylev in the start off. Nice, Hall of Famer. Yeah, right-hand pitcher for the Twins. That's not a bad start. Hippolito Pena. Hippolito. I have, I have no recollection here. No, the, a little bit before my time. Uh, left-handed pitcher for the Yankees. Uh, really? Like, yeah, relief pitcher for the Yankees, I guess. Yeah, I I don't have anything on that. No, Pascual Perez and Bob Wickman are... Uh, our early Yankees that I remember, Randy yeah. Velarde, Mike Gallego. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't have anything on Pena. Wow. <laughs> uh, Joe McGrain from the Cardinals. Yeah, okay. Catcher? No, left-handed pitcher. See, where? Uh, wow, uh, this, this is a real stumper here. Uh, next, we got another left-handed pitcher, Drew Hall from the Cubs. Boy. Wow, this is a tough pack. <laughs> I'm not sure I could have picked a more obscure pack. Um, yeah. yeah. Next, we got Barry Jones, a right-handed pitcher from the White Sox. Yeah, I got nothing again here. <laughs> Bad Barry Jones. Bad Barry Jones. I mean, he's got a got a nice stash going, but all right, here we go. I finally got one here. Rafael Belliard. Nice. Yes. He's with the Pirates in this card, but, I mean, obviously we remember him from his uh, Braves days. Short oh, yeah, he came over, came over to Atlanta with Sid Bream. And I, I don't know if it was with him, but it was right around the same time. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, next one. Oh, uh, special offer card for the Topps Company Store to buy a T-shirt. Oh, we should see if they still have the T-shirts. <laughs> yes. Should I send out? $9.95 plus $1.25 shipping and handling. I have a feeling the shipping and handling cost would be a bit more. I think everything would be a bit more. Maybe you just <laughs> send them, like, like you know, a check for, like, I don't know, like $4.80 for inflation. Yeah, yeah. All right, here we go. We're getting we're getting into it now. We've got Gary Pettis. <laughs> Gary Pettis? Yeah, yeah, outfielder for right on here. He's the Tigers. I remember him playing for the uh, coming up with the Angels, a speedster. Okay. Yeah, uh, he had he stole fifty bags a couple of years. Really? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's you just don't see that anymore. No, no. Here we go. Will Clark. That's my guy. Oh, he used yeah. to kill the Mets. Sweet left-handed swing. Sweet left-handed swing. In '88. He led uh, led the league in RBIs with 109 and walks with 100. Uh, a couple more solid seasons, he would have um, a, a Hall of Fame conversation. Unfortunately, he didn't quite get there, but met killer. I can remember my father vividly cursing him out in the living room. <laughs> oh, man, it makes me real sad to see that they don't have on-base percentage on the back of these. Dude, I, I – um. Uh, it was. It had to be right around then because I can remember those old wax packs with uh, with at least one OBP on the back, with yeah. one row. Yeah, they just got uh, games at bats, runs, hits, doubles, triples, home runs, RBI, stolen. Uh, yes, yeah, stolen base, slugging, walks, strikeouts. Slugging. That's what's on there. It's slugging. Yeah, and then average at the end. That's it. It just feels weird. Look at. It's crazy when you think about. Oh, about the differences. Oh, everything. Oh, here we go. Nolan Ryan. Cool. 89. So that's uh, that's Astro still, or is he Texas? Yep. 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 Astro still. That's a nice card. Nice. Always good to Nolan Ryan, but it hurts a little to see him in an Astros uniform. <laughs> Jeff Parent, a right-handed pitcher from the Expos. I got nothing. Yeah. No, it doesn't no. ring a bell. Nope. Nothing at all. Andy Allison, catcher for the Indians. I don't have – I vaguely remember him, but I don't have any, like – nope, moving on. Dave <laughs> Martinez. Davey. Yes, Expo, Expo's uniform. Cool. Yep. Daryl Hamilton. So, some, good, some good Expos teams in the late 80s. Tim Wallach and uh, – uh, who was there? Hubie Brooks was probably still there. Yep. Yeah, good Expos teams in the late 80s. So, oh, Daryl Hamilton, this is... Uh, future Met. Yep, Future Met looks like a rookie card. Cool. Yep. And finish this off with a Tom Hankey. Tom Hankey, um, pitcher, right? Yep, yeah, he had... Um, looking at the back of the card, they hadn't happened yet, but... Uh, oh, he was he was a reliever then. He had some good years as a starter, too, if I remember correctly, for the uh, Blue Jays. Was it the Blue Jays? I, I, for, this, for some reason, I wanted to, say, wanted to say St. Louis, but it's all a blur, my man. Uh, oh, yeah, I think you're right. I think he might have ended up with St. Louis afterwards. All right. As that was a shot in the dark. I didn't know. I, uh, I'm going to move on to the next pack. we got to open the Donruss triple play. All right. And as we do that, I am, uh, I'm putting the gum in. 
All right, oh, Ian, keep us updated. It's uh, I don't know if I can chew it. <laughs> I, I will. I will not hold judgment if you go ahead and bow out because uh, no, just just go ahead and put it in your mouth is probably too brave enough for me. All right. Yep. It's uh, I'm spitting it out because it's uh, <laughs> it's turning into dust. Oh. Oh, oh that's uh that's a thirty plus year old bubblegum being held in a wax pack against uh Guillermo uh Guillermo Pena? Guillermo Hernandez. Hernandez, I'm sorry. There was a Pena in there somewhere. Alright, that was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna have to wash that down with some beer afterwards. There you go. Alright, let's get into the ninety two Donruss triple play premiere edition. 92. Who was I rooting for in 1992? Um, I loved Jimmy Key. Don't ask me why, but I was a big Jimmy Key fan. I I wanted to open this one just because I always liked this triple play card. Do you remember this one? It's the one where it's like red on the top and then it goes orange to yellow on the sides as you get down and then it goes back to the red. Yeah, it's like, it was probably like one of the first round of like real like – um parallel looking cards where it was not your ordinary baseball card. Yeah, exactly. It was that like, Ooh, how high tech is that? And then to think of it compared to the cards we have nowadays, it's wild. Yeah, exactly. All right. We got Jody Reed to start out, uh, former Red Sox. There you go. Uh, here is Barry Larkin. All right. Former oh. future Met Barry Larkin. Yes. Ah, uh. I still think that would have made quite a difference that year, but. Ooh, he had 90, in 1991, he had 69 RBI. Very nice. Very nice. Where, in 1990 or 91? 91. 91. 90, they won the World Series, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the Nasty Boys? Here we go. Brian Harvey. I remember Brian Harvey. Um, just because, uh, I think it was RBI 94. I think he was, he was one of the better closers in that game. <laughs> RBI ninety four for the Angels. Nice, Steve Finley. Still the California Angels at the time. Yeah, yeah. Steve Finley, um, he- hell of an outfielder. Yep, the hell of an outfielder. But the the memory I always have of him is not being able to catch Todd Pratt's home run. Oh, of course, but uh, just a, a solid, solid career. Um, oh, yeah. He's one of those guys like um, kind of like Nick Marquegas, like real good career. But, yeah, just a real good career unless you're Jack Ramsey and think he's a Hall of Famer. Oh, he's not a Hall of Famer, but I think he's uh, he's going to finish up with a, a very impressive slash line. I think Nick Marquegas is a, a Hall of very good member without a doubt. Oh, yeah. I'm um, sorry. Yeah, you missed the inside joke. One of our chats that Ramsey's in is he always tries to, like, every two months he tries to bring up the fact that Mark Hagis is a Hall of Famer, and we all <laughs> we all shut him down very hardly. Oh, that's all right. Ramsey's, I, I like Ramsey's opinions. What's up, Jack? Oh, man. I'm going to have to tell him to listen just to uh, hear me rag <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, Ramon Martinez. Uh, Pedro's brother. Yeah, yeah, with the Dodgers, yeah. Uh, he had some good seasons with them. He did. He was more held than Pedro for a while. Yeah, 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 he had, I mean, up to this point, he had a 3.15 ERA. 
Very nice. In the, in the, in the steroid era, that's nothing to shake a stick at. No, not at all. Um, Tom Foley, Expo's infielder. Oh, I got nothing there. No, me neither. Um, they have a quote from Tom Foley on the back. <laughs> a quote? Let me hear what Tom Foley has to say. Tom Foley has a very important message. It is important to stay in school and do your best, and if someone offers you drugs, just say no. Thanks, Foley. <laughs> Tom Foley checking in. Here we go. <laughs> Here's another former Met, Kevin Apier. Nice. 92, Apier would be with Baltimore? Nope. He's, uh, well, he's on the Royals. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Royals. Here we go. We got a Met right here. Tim Burke. All right. Nice. Reliever. Wow, he actually had a 2.62 ERA coming into this one. Very nice. Yep. That was yeah. a um that was like the last really uh uh I guess, you know, not contending but winning team for a while, right? Ninety one? Yeah. I mean things things got pretty ugly for a while after that. It did, it did. And they it, you know, Benia, Eddie Murray, you thought that was gonna be a good squad, but nope. Yeah, let's not talk about Benia. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Hansen, uh, right-handed pitcher for uh, the Mariners. Vaguely remember him. Not much. No, I was going to say Minnesota. That was a guess, though. Bobby Thigpen. Yeah, nice. Uh, Held the the saves record for a year, for a couple of years. Yep, yep. Uh, 57. 57. Nice. Yeah. 57 Uh, saves. And that, that already happened in 91? Uh, nine, yeah, nine, I think he did it at 90. Wow. Yeah. Considering how different the game was then, 57 saves, that's, uh, that's, that's one of those numbers that you really doesn't get enough uh, recognition, I don't think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, here's a favorite, John Crook. Nice. <laughs> oh, uh, early in Philly by then, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he had a nice year, 21 homers, 92 RBI, 294. Seven stolen bases. How the heck? I'm not going <laughs> to. John Pruck and seven stolen bases. I'm going to leave that one alone, I guess. <laughs> I, I'm t- I can remember from his, from, you know, a couple of his old Padres cards. At one point in his career, John Cruck was a, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to say he was slim, but he was a little more svelte than he was later in his career. And uh, always a, a solid hitter, but seven swiped nags. Good for Crucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In this, he he looks like he's in that transition period in this card. <laughs> he's like not quite the Padre days, but not quite like the Phillies days you remember him of. But really, a uh, solid, solid hitter, contact guy. He was almost oh, yeah. like a poor man, Tony Gwynn. Yeah, for sure. And then last one up, we got Mickey Tettleton. Oh, one of my favorite all-time batting stances in the world. Yeah, absolutely. The I love watching the, the batting stance guy do him. With the little with the tucked in hands. That yeah. was like one of my firsts when I was a kid. I'm like, oh look, here's here's Eric Davis and here's Mickey Tettleton. Like uh if you're not familiar, please, if you're listening, please go and check out Mickey Tettleton before the pitcher's released. It's the oddest batting stance you'll ever see. It is. It's truly bizarre. <laughs> and he probably played up in Probably through the mid-90s, right? Texas? Yeah. Yeah, I think he ended up in Texas into the mid-90s. I think you're right. 
Yeah. All right. Do you want to? I think we've. I think we went long enough with the cards. I think we'll, we can. Uh, we can save that feature. We'll leave the uh, leaf for next time. Excellent. And dude, like honestly, I wasn't sure what to expect. I'm like Mike's, like yeah, we're gonna open up some cards. I'm like, well, yeah. I'm like, let's. We're gonna make that work, though. Like, I, I was very confident going into it. Like, we're, we're gonna make it work. I'm not sure how, but it's gonna be all right. And I really think that it came out okay. Yeah. We had a little little story for everybody. That was awesome. We all have to do this again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just I always think of like uh, Gary when the like there's nothing going on in the game and. The Mets are down eleven to one, and they just getting trampled, and they do the card thing. And just thought it was pretty cool that, especially, I mean, that's what, like you said, that's what everyone's doing right now is going through cards, old cards. So, oh, just digging through them, man. I've been uh, jumping around on eBay, and uh, you know, whether it's uh, an investment in a prospect I like or or an old card, I think I found a a Mark McGuire and. Uh, it's not the USA Baseball one. It's his. It's his first A's card, and like you said, they were so mass produced. The thing is worth like a dollar fifty. But I'm like, oh, I like this card. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna get this one. I got uh, a couple of cards I lost from my original collection, which we lost in Hurricane Sandy. So yeah, I, uh, you know, I've certainly been getting back into the, into the hobby. My youngest is, you know, I think she just kind of pleases me by saying she's into it. She likes the uh, the magenta parallel inceptions they're like pink yeah, she's like yeah. oh that's cool so i yeah. bought like like you know 10 of them <laughs> yeah, <laughs> i probably yeah. went overboard she's like all right dad that's enough okay cool i'll well, stop that, that collection yeah well my buddy uh the card guy he he got me one of the tops baseball 2020 tins with alonzo on front so i kind of like i brought lincoln over i mean he's only four so i brought him over yeah. and just showed him like Pete Alonzo and I've, I've been trying to teach him about Pete Alonzo anyway. Um, but, and then we, we opened it up and there's a Mike Trout card in there and he's like trout, like the trout fish. So that was like his connection. So he remembers Mike Trout now. So that's a pretty good guy to learn. Definitely. Most definitely. That is a great place to start. Well, Pete Alonzo is probably first on the list, but, uh, you know, pulling a trout out of one of his first packs. That's a, that's a nice start. I'll take that as a good omen. Yeah, for sure. And I, I'm like, of course, the one like sports member that he will never forget for some reason is Tom Brady. And I, I try to get, there's nothing I can do. He's, he's, he's going to love Tom Brady. I don't have the heart to tell him that he doesn't play in New England anymore. <laughs> and uh, I guess he doesn't get the um because you're a Jets fan. He probably doesn't get the connection yet. He's just a fan of the guy. Uh, I'm not ashamed to say it. For a few years in the early '90s, I liked the Cowboys, and my dad was a huge Giants fan, and it killed him. But I, I figured it out. That, oh wait, I can't like the Cow. I played for like a Pee Wee Cowboys team. Yeah, he's like, I'm like, oh wait, oh so I can't root for the Cowboys, and I figured it out fast. <laughs> yeah, when when I was younger, like. I I loved Steve Young, so I always kind of watched the 49ers, and my dad's like, what are you doing? You're supposed to be a Jets fan. I'm like, I just like watching Steve Young play. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I liked Charles Haley. Charles Haley was a defensive lineman for the Niners and for the uh, for the Cowboys. Well, yeah, and- he, he was one of the last guys to kind of wear that thing all the way uh, in the back, too, right? Yeah, like the cowboy collar, the big neck protector. He had the uh, he had the forearm protectors that are like covered his fists yeah. too. 
yeah. Yeah, he yeah. was just a, he was a force, man. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I, I feel like I feel like the conversation has drifted, so <laughs> we're gonna go ahead <laughs> and shut her down. All right. Well, Mike, again, um, always a pleasure having you on. Um, everybody will will have some you know stuff coming out consistently on Metsmerized. Mike, anything that uh, anything we should be plugging in particular? No, I don't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> Absolutely. Actually, there is. So we've kind of been working um, on a project a bracket project. So what we've been doing is ranking the top moments in Mets history. And we've broken them down from time spans um, in the sixties into the mid seventies and then mid seventies, the eighties and so on. You get the point. So we broke them down into four brackets and we're going to leave it up to the readers to vote on which ones. And we'll see. It'll be interesting to see which top moments end up at the end. Yeah. I'm, I'm, can't wait to see how this shakes out. Excellent. Well, all right. Well, um, everybody, you know where to find us. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, uh, check out Mesmerized. Uh, you know, turn on your notifications if you're on Twitter so you know what's coming out there. And uh, everybody stay safe. Hopefully we get some good news, and we will be back later in the week. Mike, thanks again for joining us. Awesome. Thanks for having me, man. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Let's go Mets.